Well, the Cheshire cat was strung up on the sign. You've probably seen the thing in Alice in Wonderland. And Alice comes out, and there's the Cheshire cat. So she asked the cat, which road should I take? And the Cheshire cat says, well, all depends where you want to go. She says, I don't care. At which time the Cheshire cat says, well, then it really doesn't matter. And that little vignette I have in my office, and sometimes I use it in counseling. So if you come to counseling, you might see that. It's needful to know where we're going. Now, that's what we want to talk about in relationship to today to a title called Seeking Sanctification. Sanctification is that process that begins when a person becomes a Christian. Now, once a person is a Christian, the goal is that they would become Christ-like. And we're told to seek that, to seek sanctification in our life. Now, I'm going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3. I want to read the first four verses and then skip down to chapter, or verse 12 of Colossians 3. And the writer says, Since you have been raised up with Christ, set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And then down to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, uh, bearing with each other and forgiving whatever grievances you may have with one another, and forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now we're talking about seeking sanctification. That's the idea of the book of Colossians. And as we look at this, I'd kind of give you these three headings that we need to have a consistent vision, we need to have a consistent focus, and the result of that would be that we would have a consistent heart or a consistent life. Now, in this passage of scripture, as we're seeing here, that there's a consistent hope, a consistent goal, and that hope and that goal should be either heaven 
or glory? Heaven or glory? Where are you going? Where will we eventuate? Where is the final destination? Well, it's heaven and glory. Now, is that where you want to go? Is that your ultimate destination? If that's, you say, yes, that's what my intention is, then this is the route ahead. Now, in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul is talking to this church, and in verse 5, he's complimenting them because they have faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. They have faith, they have love because of the hope that they have which is stored up for them and it says that that hope is in heaven. Now, the ultimate picture you're going to see is what we read initially here in Colossians 3 verse 1. Christ is in heaven. We want to go to heaven. Our hope is in Christ. But I don't want to get too far ahead. The idea here is heaven. So the, the, the constant goal that we should have is like these Colossian Christians that we would attain to that. Now, in, in chapter 1 down towards the end, uh, in verse 27, he calls this something slightly different. He says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You've got this business, the hope of heaven. Now it's the hope of glory. And as we move into Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, here's what it's saying. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now, interesting. We're told right now that Christ is in heaven. But we're told in this fourth verse that Christ is still to attain to something that's called glory. Now that glory is the end of the age when the people that are in heaven will experience a bodily resurrection. And on the terms of the bodily resurrection is the ushering in of what the scriptures call glory. Now, last uh, Sunday, we had the funeral service for Albert Barnes. He, he died, uh, uh, what was it, late Thursday evening. And all Albert talked about was going home, going home. And we all knew that going home didn't mean to overdo his house. He wanted to go to heaven. And, and so there he is. He's made that transition. Well, Sunday, I did the graveside service out at Riverside at the mausoleum. If you die, don't die and have to use that mausoleum uh, in the middle of summer. They have no air conditioning and no fan. Don't put your families through that. They'll get buried at night out there or something. But uh, it was bad. I, I mean... You, you, you all would have enjoyed it. I started, and before I got the first breath out, I was done. And they were happy. We were out of there. Now, 
The point that I made very briefly at that time is Albert's in heaven, but that's not the end. Christ is going to come back, and when Christ comes back, then Albert's going to be resurrected, and we will enjoy the glory of Jesus Christ. We'll share it with him. Now, this is the Christian message. If we want to attain to this, if this is our goal, heaven, and then following that glory, that needs to be before us all the time. People, well, consistent people, don't have one true goal in their life and act entirely different from that goal. Now, when they do, we take them to Hardwick. So we don't do that. Normal people, Christian people, the goal is heaven, the goal is glory, and the life becomes consistent with that goal. All right? Now the sense of focus. What is our focus? Well, in here, it's this hope that's laid up for us in heaven, and then we're told it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then we're told if we're seeking the things above, that's what we're to do. We're to set our mind on Christ, who has already attained to heaven. That should be the way we focus. Now, you think of Christ. From time to time, I tell this here, I'm sure, but there was a little boy in the church in Milledgeville, and he would go to his daddy and say, Daddy, why does Pastor John call Jesus a turtle? Well, the son, father said, I, I've never heard Pastor John call Jesus a turtle. But the boy insisted that I did this all the time, and he was right. I was constantly saying that Jesus is the eternal Son of God made man. He heard it, turtle. Okay, if that'll help you, Jesus is both God and man. Jesus is man and God. Now, some people think they're average and special. Again, Hardwick for you. But Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, lived a human life on this earth. One of the old divines said he was a child sanctifying childhood. He was a young man sanctifying those difficult years of life. And he went on to talk about that. But what do we see in Jesus? If Jesus is our focus, how do we focus on Jesus? That rational? If Jesus is our focus, how do we focus on Jesus? All right, I'm going to give you two principal ways that you focus on Jesus. 
Jesus had a principal relationship in his life. What was that principal relationship? His relationship with his father. Do you want to properly have the goal of heaven and the proper focus to get there? Then this should be your number one way of emulating Jesus' life. A relationship with his Father in heaven. Now, Jesus, secondly, the way we can focus on Jesus and follow his pattern is this. He had a relationship with lots of other people. Some of them were people like Peter, James, and John. I mean, if you could say it this way, they seemed to be almost like his shadows. They were always there with Jesus. Then you have the twelve. They were with Jesus. Whenever he was down towards Jerusalem, he hung out at whose house? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then it said that he had people that were coming and going loosely attached to him. Does that sound like anybody you know? I hope it looks like the person you see when you look in the mirror. I hope that you have a full range of friendships and relationships. Jesus had these two things that were the principal focuses of his life. Relationship with his father and his relationship with people. You want to be like Jesus? You want to follow Jesus? This is what you should stay focused on. Now, let's look at this, this two focuses of Jesus just slightly differently. Jesus' focus with his father was something that got special emphasis. And I would call this Jesus' spiritual disciplines of withdrawal. What did Jesus do over and over again is he would sneak away. He would get by himself. He would give himself over to this relationship with his heavenly father. He would talk to his father. He would reflect on the scriptures, and the father would speak to him. Now, this isn't something that is kind of uh, a tangent. This is a constant. It is a regular part of Jesus' life. When Jesus is baptized, initially he spends 40 days alone with his heavenly father and being tempted by the devil. When he begins his work with the disciples, he's healing all these people on that first night that he was up there in Nazareth. And the next morning, all the people came to the doorstep of Peter's house and they wanted to see Jesus. They went looking for Jesus. Jesus was not there. He had gone out early in the morning while it was still dark to a, quote, solitary place. Literally, it's a desert place. 
uh, means solitary. And he went out to spend time with his heavenly father. Now, this pattern is happening over and over again. When we see Jesus feeding the 4,000, when we see Jesus feeding the 5,000, in both occasions, that was not what he was there to do. He had taken the disciples out to what is called a desert, remote place, and he had gone there to retreat and to be alone with these disciples and with his heavenly Father. And the people flooded him, and when they flooded him, he met their needs, but he had been spending time with his Father. When he went on that journey to the place where he heals the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, he had purposefully gone into this area of, of Tyre to get away from the Jewish antagonism that was following him, and he went there to be alone with his disciples. He took them up to another place called Caesarea Philippi. This is the place where the disciples said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And this was, again, in a remote place. After that, he goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And who's there with him? Well, yes, Moses and Elijah are there, but the voice is coming out of the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When he goes down in those last weeks that we see him in Jerusalem, where is he spending every night? Well, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's the picture? It's a consistent life of a discipline of spiritual withdrawal for himself only and with his heavenly Father that he can stay on course as a human person just like me, just like you. Where is the success in our sanctification? It begins with a time that is a consistent pattern of our life of taking this book, going somewhere, maybe just to another room. Right now, our sons move back in the house. I cannot go to the basement. Our daughter moved back in the house with four cats. Please, some of you got to need a kitten. The cats are in her bedroom and my daughter is in the room where I have my desk in my layback chair. That ain't working either. Pat goes to bed about two hours after I do. Guess how much longer she wants to sleep after I get up. I am not got the bedroom. I am a poor soul, am I not? There's a way out for me. Come get some cats. I can get my daughter at least back in her room. I get up every morning. Some people have asked me, what kind of a legacy do you want for your family? I says, I know the legacy I want for my family. I want the legacy of my children remembering from their earliest remembrance they would walk out of the hallway of the house and their daddy would be on a couch with a Bible open, a pad, a fountain pen, and some study books studying and praying. 
that is a focus of a, a, a discipline of spiritual withdrawal. Now that feeds a Christian's soul. Now we want to talk about what stretches <laughs> a Christian's soul. Sanctification is testing and stretching. And often sanctification is not what we think it is. So when we look at this idea of Christ's uh, life being a, a focus of, of spiritual disciplines of withdrawal and times with his heavenly Father, the third point that we want to see is that Jesus' life is a consistent heart, a consistent heart, from his father to others, from his father to others. And that's what it means to be sanctified, that there's a consistent Christian heart that you have with your heavenly father, and now this consistent Christian heart is shared in the lives of other people that we connect to. Now, if we are looking at Colossians 3, and we're going to do the whole thing, you can see at the very bottom... It's wives, husbands, fathers, children, employers, employees. It's people. But when we look at this and we come to uh, chapter 3, verse 12, and I'm skipping over the negative, I, I, I'm, I would tell you all about putting sin to death. I would tell you all about throwing sin that's in your life away. But I've covered that. And we cover that here regularly. But what we don't cover as regularly as we need to are these positive aspects that we want to look at today. So what does it look like here now to have a goal of a 